This is Mortification of Spin from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. To learn more about the Alliance, visit AllianceNet.org or call 800-488-1888. After the podcast, listen for details on how you can receive a free resource. Well, we're here today in the underground bunker facing something of a crisis in the Mortification of Spin team. She Who Must Be Obeyed has brought some very disturbing information to my attention. And Amy and I have really got to ask Todd, perhaps one of the most difficult, embarrassing, potentially humiliating questions with which he may ever have been faced. Todd, are you ready for this? Sure. Are you or have you ever been an attender at a Promise Keepers event? Uh, <laughs> I, I was... I, I was not the ringleader. Um, I was there simply as a humble youth pastor attending with a group of men from my church. I did not instigate it. I was not behind it. I did not give my full approval, but I was there. Did you wear a sweatshirt with Promise Keepers I, on it? I, uh, I received as a gift mm-hmm. a Promise Keepers sweatshirt. I did not buy it. I was given it as a gift, and I did wear it, yes. And have you found that your, your attachment to Promise Keepers has enhanced your ability to be a, a, a pastor in today's PCA? <laughs> I, uh, I, you know, oddly enough, I, I, have not, I have not needed to draw upon too heavily my experience in Promise Keepers uh, to help me uh, be a pastor in the, in the PCA. But, I mean, there's still time. I'm still fairly new in the PCA, so you never know. Um, I, 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 I mean, I think, uh, you know, once a promise keeper, always a promise keeper. You are yeah. stammering somewhat. I, well, I'm, I'm very nervous. <laughs> You're feeling very, very vulnerable I, I, I want those point. people listening out there that I'm under a, a very hot lamp right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not being treated with the dignity I think that I deserve as an image bearer of God. Um, I've been singled out because of a one-time youthful indiscretion. <laughs> Um, so the rumors that you attended conferences with Rick Warren, Bill Hybels, John Maxwell, <laughs> they're all malicious lies being put around by some vast OPC conspiracies. I attended those events at the invitations of my superiors. Were you holding it for a friend, Todd? <laughs> I, uh, I do have quite a bit of experience attending uh, leadership conferences and seminars. Bill Hybels, John Maxwell, Rick Warren may have been among the speakers at such said events. Yes, that is true. Did they shift you from, not, if not from good to great, from very <laughs> mediocre to, to merely mediocre in your, in your leadership approach? They shifted me from mediocre to frustratingly mediocre. <laughs> um, you know, one of the things about those events, because I did, as when I was a youth pastor, I went to yearly, sometimes several a year, uh, events with the rest of our staff on leadership, um, held by uh, guys like John Maxwell and Bill Hybels, et cetera. And w- one of the things that I began to realize th- through those experiences is that while you're at the event, you know, th- the speakers are engaging, you're laughing at the jokes, you're taking notes, you're hearing great stories, you're thinking, I can do that, this is great, I'm going to be a better leader. And by the time you get through two days of that and you're walking across the parking lot to your car, you realize, wait a minute, I'm not Bill Hybels. Um, I don't think I can do what he does. And then suddenly everything you heard throughout the whole weekend becomes this massive weight 
um, on your back. And it becomes really, um, in a lot of ways, uh, uh, very oppressive in, in that sense. Because if you try, if just on, on, on the, uh, the scale of leadership skills, if you try to, to stack yourself up against a Bill Hybels or a, or a John Maxwell, good luck. As far as what people typically think of as the qualities that a leader has to have, there's not a whole lot of guys out there that are that good. Well, that's a, a good question to bring up, too, is what qualities should a good leader have? Yeah, yeah. And this is where I think a lot of the material that comes out of uh, the, leader, the, the evangelical leadership industry has been profoundly unhelpful. Because to my way of thinking, at least the stuff that I imbibed for years um, was much closer to um, secular um, leadership theories than anything you find in Scripture. In fact, oftentimes the, the, the biblical exposition that would go on at those events, and it was very spare, um, you know, upon further reflection, was really poor <laughs> biblical um, exposition. And, and the sorts of things we see modeled, for instance, in the Apostle Paul were rarely, if ever, um, advocated for or impressed upon us. Well, thinking about you walking into your car first pumped up and all excited to go out there and be a dynamic leader and then you know sitting down put your keys in ignition and then realize that um you're just a mediocre guy yeah, exactly um, we could have told you that would have been a lot cheaper just to give me a call <laughs> i take mediocre as a as a compliment well it does uh, you know begs the question what do we have to boast about mm-hmm. you know you mm-hmm. leave a conference like that and you think that you have all these um particular leadership qualities Mm -hmm. that you're supposed to boast about. But then um, we learn from Paul that... Well, you know, we're clay pots. To boast Christ. Right. You know, that's that's what you have, who you have. Right. We're we're, we're clay pots. We're dirt baked hard, which means we're we're really ordinary. We're really cheap. We're very breakable. We're highly replaceable. Hmm. And... That's how pastors need to think about themselves. Not, not that they should excuse incompetence. That's not what we're advocating for here. Or even mediocrity. Or even mediocrity, absolutely. But leadership in the church is wholly different from leadership in other environments. I mean, Carl, you, you know what leadership is like in, um, in a seminary, which is not a church. It's a, it's a nonprofit organization that has a lot of um, parallels with certain kinds of business leadership. And that's a good thing, rightly so. But but simultaneously, you're also the pastor of a, of a local congregation. These are two very different things, aren't they? Yeah, I think in the former, uh, hierarchy is everything. Right. If, you're, if you're in an organization that's not the church, then a clear hierarchy, clear system of reporting, clear employee manual, if you like, these things are absolutely vital for maintaining good order. And there is a sense in which uh, I think that emotions – should play less of a role in some ways in in business decisions. Uh, there has to be much more clear right. thinking in terms of you know, the the bank balance, right. the, the the keeping the, the ship afloat. In a church setting, clearly, uh, the human consequences of decisions are of, of more importance. But also, I think the whole notion of hierarchy is somewhat different. Yeah. Uh, it is one thing at an institution to have a man at the top who can be a relatively distant and remote person and yeah. still do the job very well because essentially he's setting policies in place and he's allowing his underlings to go away and execute those policies. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a church, I think that 
presence is a large part of leadership. If you're on a session or if you're on mm. a pastor, being there in the church among the people and being accessible is, is absolutely basic. So that would be one big difference, I right. would see, the, right. the nature, the importance of, of presence and how that shifts and shapes our understanding of the hierarchy. Clearly, there is a hierarchy in the church. Not everybody preaches the word. Not everybody right. uh, administers the Lord's Supper or baptism. But it's a hierarchy to be flavored and shaped more by presence and, and, and servanthood right. than, say, vice president of a seminary or vice president of a bank would right. be. And it's been interesting. So I've, I've been pastor of a PCA church for the better part of a year now. And one of the things that's I've a t- long pastor for you, actually, <laughs> just to underscore that. Well done for hanging in there, brother. Thank you. Know, I really uh, appreciate that. Uh, no, no Carl. good offers that you're considering <laughs> at the moment. Well, uh, you know, I'm always looking to better deal. So um, um, you'll have to excuse my friend Carl. He's uh, he's had too much to drink. I, I just like to speak the truth to power. That's the problem. We prayed for him before yeah. the show. What was I going to say? Oh, yes. Before I was interrupted. No, I, one of the things I've appreciated is, again, um, in a Presbyterian church, the session is made up of ruling elders and teaching elders, but they're both elders. Um, one is not more elite than the other. It's recognized that a teaching elder or a pastor is is that elder. That, it's along the same lines of distinction that Paul makes. There are some elders who labor in preaching and teaching. That said, it's still a brotherhood of, of men who are equal uh, before the Lord and in the eyes of the church. And one of the things that a good pastor in a biblically formed church is going to do is to help make sure that those other elders are elevated in the eyes of the congregation because he has to be aware that he's replaceable. Um, Not that he should be mistreated, not that he should be disrespected. We know that that's not true from Scripture. But he must have a view of himself that he's replaceable. And and part of the problem with a lot of the uh, leadership industry within evangelicalism is that it gives a very, very vaulted view of the senior pastor, and, and the church comes to rely on his personality. And these churches, oftentimes led by these men, are very much personality-led churches. And that's dangerous for them, and it's dangerous for their church. Can I, I pick you up on that, actually, Todd? It, mm-hmm. I'm uncomfortable with the language of senior pastor yeah, because that seems to me to play linguistically into precisely what you're pushing against right, at this right. point. Do you have any comments on that? Um, at, my, at, at, at the church I pastor, I'm not called a senior pastor. I'm called a lead pastor. Um, Do you have any rhythm pastors I, there? We, or, uh, we have lead, lead pastors, <laughs> uh, percussion that. pastor. Yeah. Um, I was pushing for pastor of dance, but they're not ready for that yet. But, you know, lead, lead pastor. Uh, so, so they chose that title precisely because they they wanted to try to distinguish this guy who was going to lead the staff and be the primary preacher without calling him, quote, senior pastor for, for that reason. But they had the same hesitancy. They're not comfortable, and I agree with them, in some of the language that's oftentimes connected with that senior pastor. That said, I don't know if there's a lot of practical difference between calling me a senior pastor or a lead pastor, but I, I, I actually think lead is a little better word. Mm. I think it carries a little bit less of, of a hierarchical um, uh, distinctive to it. Um, Would you agree with me that executive pastor is an abomination? Absolutely. <laughs> Good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Michael Horton gives a really good illustration of um, the eldership in the church in his book, Calvin and the Christian Life. I know I just quoted from there before, but um, he says, a good pastor attaches the sheep to the great shepherd, not to himself. And then he gives this illustration that Calvin gives on how the elders and the pastor are like the groomsmen at a wedding. 
And so they know the difference between themselves and what belongs to the bridegroom. And I just thought that was such a good visual picture because so often it is personality-centered and the executive pastor, Mm -hmm. um, we start to combine the person with the office so much that we forget who our true leader is, Jesus Christ, and they take they take that position. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really good point uh, because one of the things that the pastor has to do is he has to realize uh, that he's a man under orders. Um, he's under the Lordship of Christ. He is to represent Christ at all things. And part of the challenge, of course, for the, for the man who is in pastoral leadership is because he's a sinner, because he's wrestling with his own sanctification. And because if he, if he's fortunate enough to be in a church that is very kind to him, that says very kind things to him, which is the way it ought to be, that still presents a layer of challenge because the danger is, is that I'll begin to believe my own press, um, you know, and I'll, and I'll be that, that, that guy who says, you know, my mom was right. I really am special. Um, Keep hanging around with us, brother. We'll, we'll that, make sure that doesn't that, happen. I, I spend time with Carl Truman because I know that he'll never say anything to encourage me. So, so that's helpful. That's, that's helpful in that sense. But, you know, I'm, I, am, I am compelled by, by, again, by the difference um, in the Apostle Paul's approach to his self-understanding as a leader in the church, and, and that which is oftentimes advanced in, in leadership events hosted by churches. And so Paul, I'm, I'm thinking about uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and that very autobiographical section, um, Titus did not meet him at Troas. He walks away from an open door for the gospel at Troas because his mind is so troubled because he's waiting to hear back from the church at Corinth to see if they got his, his really hard letter. And he's, he's, he's anxious over the fact that they might finally reject him. He's depressed over this. But, but, but then he immediately shifts and says, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ. Now, I, I grew up hearing that as, you know, hooray, were the triumphers. And I, I've become convinced with the commentators who say that's not at all what Paul is saying. Paul's not depicting himself as one who's in a um, who, who's sharing the triumph of Christ, but he, he is among those captured, um, defeated, uh, in the best sense of that way. This, this former sinner and blasphemer um, is now in the procession that Christ leads as one of the captives. He's just one of the captives. Um, it's a humble, um, nameless type of position. And this is antithetical to what is often taught to pastors today. I was just reading an article online that struck me as kind of weird. Um, someone was complaining about the title servant leader. And they said that, um, you know, there's all this talk now about servant leadership, but what they u- really mean is capitalized the leadership part over the servant part and um, I found it to be an interesting article I don't know if I agreed with what they were saying all the way but I just found it interesting that um, you know as a lay person that they felt that this was really lacking in leadership was the, the servanthood yeah. part of it well and, and, and our churches will know I mean uh, if, if you know once we're once a pastor's there long enough our church will have a pretty good sense as to whether or not uh, we're serving them or serving ourselves. I mean, I mean, it, it one, at one point or another, for better or worse, a, a pastor's going to out himself, mm-hmm. you know, um, on, on some of those matters. That's why I think presence is important. Yeah. Because if, if you are present in your congregation on a Sunday, your congregation can see you. They can see how you react to your wife and your children. They can yeah. see how you react to 
other people. I also think it's, it's a reason why pastors should be on the rosters at their church. Mm. Everybody should be on the trash roster at the church, yeah. including the pastor. Well, it's interesting uh, you say that because I had the opportunity to talk to some of the women from your church. and um, They said they never seen me take We were having breakfast <laughs> together. They said their pastor was very trashy. And one of the women did say the first time she visited the church um, – and she knew who you were, she was shocked to see that you were taking out the trash. There you go. And, um, you know, I knew that, she was coming and just staged it. That was endearing to her. You know, that, that made her you know, really want to investigate this church. So. Well, it's interesting because um, when I pull up into my church and I see that um, my reserved parking spaces have not been adequately cleaned. There's been an occasion or two where I do that myself. Well, I thought you got your chauffeur to do it for you. Well, thought, but, uh, that's the way it happens okay. now. I mean, I didn't have a chauffeur immediately. It no. took me like a month um, to, uh, to to get that. But I first that's had to. Because he was embarrassed to drive that uh, car with the Promise Keepers bumper sticker. Well, on it's it. true. It's true. But now that my church, the now, now, with the now that I've got that BMW lease, um, it's fine. Um, and, and incidentally, for those of you more sensitive uh, listeners to the mortification, of we spin, don't have any more. What you what you just, just heard? <laughs> what you just heard was satire. So just want to. Uh, we found that we need to make a few of these things clear. I'm I'm speaking the truth in love. <laughs> I don't know what you guys are doing. But, uh, another question for you, Todd, because I know you've got opinions on this. <laughs> Wives and leadership. Yeah. When I was going through the, the tough times at Westminster relative to uh, struggles that were going on maybe seven, eight years ago, yeah. uh, I remember being very aware of how hard it was for my wife because she was not involved in the direct conflict in the mm-hmm. way that I was. So she was sitting at home fretting about what was going on. Uh, and I received a letter from a young man uh, in Greenville. He actually handed it to me at a conference. And the letter was just to let me know that he's praying for me. But in it, he said, I'm praying for your wife, too. Mm -hmm. And it really meant a lot to me that somebody had realized that uh, in positions of leadership, whether it's church leadership or parachurch or secular leadership, the wives are often those who who take, in some ways, bigger hits than the the husbands. Right. Be honest, I, I quite enjoy a good scrap. <laughs> My wife does not enjoy sitting at home knowing I'm having yeah. a good scrap right. somewhere. Right. Uh, yeah. what, what, have you, what have you done in your ministry to, I know that you've been through some yeah. terrible times uh, relative yeah. leadership, and I've been in the room when Karen has, yeah. in that, I remember in that restaurant when we came yep. down for your installation, it was clear to me what a huge toll right. uh, recent events had taken yep. on, on Karen. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you do as a church leader to help protect your wife from the sort of garbage that's going to routinely and sometimes not routinely come your way. Right. Well, one mistake I made um, in, a, in a place recently where I went through a really difficult challenge, one of the, the first mistake I made was I didn't tell her anything. And so, but because... Were you trying I ha- to protect her? I was trying to protect her. What was the reason? I, I, yeah. Well, you know, and, and there were there were people that were biting at me and pursuing me and... I didn't want her to have a low opinion of those individuals, and I didn't want her to know that I was being embattled. And so I didn't tell her anything. Now, that's a mistake. Now, I don't think a pastor should tell his wife everything because she hasn't necessarily been designed to bear every single burden he has to bear. That said, he needs to tell her some things because she's going to know. And now I happen to have a terrible poker face, so she knew I was miserable. She just didn't know why I was miserable. And so I, as I, I had some help to, to begin talking to her about what was going on. And it so happened that she did a really good job of helping me bear 
those burdens. And 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 here's here's what my wife did that was one of the things that my wife did that was really helpful. She would insist that I first consider giving this person or these persons the benefit of the doubt when I didn't want to. And so instead of pouring gasoline onto the smoldering wounds I had, she would pour water, um, which I'll, I've noticed in ministry, a lot of wives don't do. Um, and so, so she did a very good job of that. So I, I moved from, from an unhealthy position, not telling her anything, I think to a better place of, of being able to share some of these things. And I found out that she actually held up quite well. Now, after it was all over and the smoke began to clear, you know, it was clear that she had shouldered some really heavy burden through that whole thing. And, 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 and it had taken a toll. It had taken a toll on her emotionally. Um, and the Lord's been very gracious but the point is, is that it's a fantasy. If a pastor thinks that his that that he can get through these things without his wife having to bear these things, he's kidding himself. Because even if he doesn't tell her, she knows mm-hmm. something is wrong, and it's best for him to at least give her some at least give her some of the details so that she doesn't leap to wrong conclusions. Like, does he not love me? Is that why he's not talking to me? So yeah, when when a pastor is 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 under the gun. He needs somebody wise in his life to help him particularly to navigate things well with his, with his wife. Well, I think of, um, you know, since I'm a woman and a wife, um, her role as your helper. And so right. in some ways, you know, not that you're to share everything, right. but um, by not sharing anything, I'm you're denying, you're, the very role she you're has. denying yep. her very role that she has. Exactly. And, and I found that out. Particularly, I saw it as, as I saw that she rose to the occasion so effectively. I mean, there were times when I would sit in the living room unable to say anything because I was so shocked by certain acts of wickedness that had been committed, and she would just open up the Bible and begin to read Psalms to me. Um, You know, that was an extraordinarily strong thing for her to do. Instead of saying, these so-and-sos, I can't believe, she didn't join that chorus that was going on in my mind. She just began to read the Word of God to me. That was an extraordinary act of courage and um, uh, wisdom and strength on her part. Because her flesh would have wanted to cry out and call these people all kinds of names, and she didn't. And so that was very valuable to me. It's very moving uh, testimony, there, Todd. And I think it also goes to the point of you know, guys who are training for the ministry. I can't say this often enough, but it's important to make sure you marry the right person. Uh, not that we know on this program Jesus is not going to whisper in your ear, she's the right person. But the question I think you have to ask yourself is, is, is this girl that I'm dating or I'm interested in, I'm going into the ministry, uh, is this girl somebody that would be able to share the burdens right. with me right. in a way that Todd's just described? Is she somebody who's going to strengthen and enhance the ministry that we have together at our church? Or is she going to struggle to cope? And uh, you know, if you think she can't do that, but you're still in love with her, then marry her and do something else. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Todd's laughing, but I mean that as a, a, well, as a serious piece too. of advice. It's true. Does the woman... I mean, well, you know there's this special calling on a pastor, and it's recognized when, mm-hmm. you know, people recognize mm-hmm. that in you. But um, 
what about his wife? Mm. Because it's such a, a different life for it a is. pastor's mm-hmm. wife to have. And She's I always under a wonder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, is is there a calling is, for this? I, yeah, I mean, I don't know scripturally that there's anything that says that there's a calling for but that. There are but there are certainly, I think there are certainly virtues. I think at the minimum we can say there are virtues necessary yeah. right. for a woman to, to function in that role because it is a challenging role. Mm-hmm. And, and and one last thing, Carl, before I turn it over to you again is, is I think it's important, and you and I have talked about this, I think it's important for a pastor's wife to be supportive and encouraging to her husband in that role but but to not be his fan <laughs> in other words to be willing to say yeah that wasn't all that great yeah or you kind of whiffed it on that so you know again not for her to be your critic but but not for her to be your fan more eye contact is what i usually get when i get in the car <laughs> on a sunday you need more eye contact and uh <laughs> Well, at least she's picking out good shirts for you, Kyle. Right, yes, that's <laughs> right, right. That's helpful. She's got to do that also. Yeah. So uh, that brings us maybe around to perhaps the last topic we could reflect on today, given the time. What masculine leadership? Mm-hmm. What does it look like? Me. <laughs> well, I know that we now we can move on. We, we exude machismo sitting here in our muscle shirts. And, uh, in fact, we have a guest in the studio today. He's my, my personal trainer, uh, Mad Max from uh, over in Westchester. Brought him in today to, to give me a workout during the, yeah, uh, during yeah. the break. Now, I think you know, masculine leadership uh, involves taking the lead. And taking the lead involves taking hits. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that worries me about the way we use, we use the language of leadership now. We'll say, oh, so-and-so is an evangelical leader. Yeah. I don't want to hear about any evangelical leader who's not taken a tough stand and yeah. taken a hit. Right. We, there are too many people, if you like, I think in the evangelical world today who aspire to statesmanship yeah. without having taken the hits to get them there. You know, Richard Nixon was able to go to China in the early 1970s because of all the stuff he did in the 1950s. <laughs> That's what made him a statesman. Now, yeah. we know there yeah. were problems with Richard yeah. Nixon uh, later on, but... Uh, but nevertheless. He did not find himself suddenly as a great statesman. Right. He earned his right mm-hmm. to hold that position well, and I that title. I think it's yeah. like looking at it as more of a responsibility yeah. um, and to initiate according to your heavy responsibility, whereas in our culture today, it seems more like a position of glory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and you think about it, um, uh, and, and this is an extreme example, but, but imagine, just imagine what the Apostle Paul's body looked like, having been beaten with rods and stoned and, and whipped and shipwrecked. Imagine, you know, imagine taking the Apostle Paul to the beach and, uh, and, and he takes off his outer clothes. Imagine what that man's body must have looked like. Um, now, I'm not, adv- I'm not saying that everybody ought to look that way, but there's a reason why there's not books on um, great leaders who never paid a heavy price. Yeah, yeah. And the, the phenomenon we see in the evangelical world of whenever there's a crisis or a problem in the leadership of some of these groups, you know, the bosses remain silent and they yep. leave the underlings to, to whack the critics. Right. It's ridiculous. Yep. And it's not biblical. No. Uh, Could you imagine a husband doing shape. that with his wife? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, ab- it's absolutely true. So, well, um, we're really glad that you took time to uh, listen to this episode of uh, Mortification of Spin. 
Uh, hope that uh, these are helpful conversations for you. We have a lot of fun uh, with it. Um, continue to uh, check out the website for the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals um, and consider giving support to that worthwhile ministry. Again, you've been listening to Mortification of Spin. You can check out our website, mortificationofspin.org where we have casual conversation about things that count. And for Carl Truman and Amy Bird, I'm Todd Pruitt. We will talk to you later. Bye-bye. This has been Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Alliance ministries include Reformation21.org and events held from Florida to Sacramento. To learn more about the Alliance, visit AllianceNet.org or call 800-488-1888. We can only continue to bring you Mortification of Spin with your support. To make a donation, please visit MortificationOfSpin.org or call 800-488-1888. Please listen again, and don't forget your free resource. I attended those events at the invitations of my superiors.